Welcome, welcome, welcome to Interesting Enough. He is Trey. I am Nolan. Thank you guys for joining us once again. This is your first time listening to the podcast. Thank you. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. Go ahead and like and subscribe. I know it's been a while. Trey, man, happy 4th of July. You know, it just passed. How you feeling, man? What's going on? Man, I'm feeling good, man. Um, it's a little bit warm up here. I don't know about down there, but, you know, it's a little bit warmer than what we're used to. I don't know how you feeling down in Miami. So, it, it I mean, we used to the heat. And the humidity. <laughs> but it's been pretty ridiculous. And, and actually, over July 4th, I was, I was actually in Orlando visiting friends and stuff like that. Um, saw a couple of our mutual friends, of course. And let me tell you something. We went to a pool. You know, a little, it was one of those community pools type of situation, um, July Fourth type of deal. You you, you know you you know you at the pool and it's so hot where like just just this I guess you call it the cement that's like by the pool is so hot like you just after you have no choice but to just put your feet in there because like or put your feet in your slides or whatever like you, you can't just have your bare feet out basically like that was yeah the type yeah of, yeah like that was the type of situation it was like it was so hot like it was just like ridiculously like. It was just hot. Like anything you do is hot. You go to the car, it's hot. Like it, it was that miserable heat, man. But how's it? How was it in Washington? Because I mean, I know everybody got hit, but I mean, it had to be probably like you said, hotter than usual. Yeah. So like it was. Uh, I think it was like a pretty much a global heat wave at this point. But um, it wasn't quite as bad in Washington. It did. I think one day, like Tuesday, it was like eighty-eight degrees. Mm, so um, that's hot. That's hot for y'all over there, though. It okay, is hot for, for us up here, and it big, yeah, to them. And the big difference is. In Washington, since it typically doesn't get that hot up here, 60% of the housing up here does not have an AC. I don't, none of my apartment has an AC. What? Yes, because it's typically, it's typically cold. So, so it's like not, there's just no unit? Yeah, there's no unit at all. Wow. We got heat, we don't have AC. So when that 88 hit, it hits. So you had to go grab fans or something. Man, we had to go grab fan. Like it was all, you know, everybody was getting them at Walmart. We had to have the windows open. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was hitting, man. Wow, I didn't, you know, I actually never considered, like, because we're from Florida, so I just never even fathomed a situation where you just, you just don't have AC available. Like, no matter. I didn't what. either. I'm like, I'm like, everybody has AC, but then when I came up here and I looked it up, you know, sixty percent of the housing up here does not have AC. Like, it's coming. Everybody I work with, I was talking to them. Yeah, nobody has AC. Like. So I was wondering, like, in the in the cold, because, like, I didn't grow up in a super cold place. Obviously, in college, Pensacola gets a little cold, but I was wondering, like, what the protocol is. Like, because, like, when I like to sleep, right, like, just in general, even mm-hmm. if it is cold outside, I do like to kind of sleep a little bit cold. Like, I'd rather, like, have to use the blanket than, like, be, like, sleeping hot, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I was wondering, like, when it's, like, a certain temperature is, like, you know, I guess in that situation, if y'all don't have AC, it's, like, I guess you just... Like, what keeps the air circling? I guess just, like, a fan in general? Like, even if you're not using it to be, like, literally to use it for cold, are you just using it to circulate the air? Or is it just, like, naturally cool in the crib or, like, windows? Like, how So, it's naturally it? cool. Like, it, like, so I came up here, you know, like, at the tail end of winter, it's just okay. naturally cool. So, you don't like, even really notice, basically? Yeah, yeah. You, you're not going to notice. Like, when I first moved in, I was just running to turn the heat on. Like, it's, the, right. the room is probably going to be, like, 40, 50 degrees if you don't have anything going on. So, like, yeah, you can't notice. So, so, but at that point, you put the heat on just enough where it's, like, not too... You can't be, like, sweating at night either. But yeah, just, yeah, just yeah, enough yeah, to yeah. have a... Yeah. I'm not trying to sweat, but you do need it on enough to be comfortable to fall asleep. Like, 
you're not gonna fall asleep without the heat being on a tad bit. You just not. Wow. And then that now you guys aren't even used to it with no AC and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah, everybody's complaining up here. They're like my friends that go play basketball with, they're like, man, it's so hot, man. I swear. And when I first step outside, I'm like, you feel Yo, it's good. hot, but like, you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, you like this. This is fine with me. Like, this no, is it really cool. felt fine because even when it's 88, it's 88, but it's not humid. Like, it's the humidity of Florida that gets to you. That's what I was gonna ask too. I think we talked about it on one of the previous pods. How is it? Did you notice the difference right away? Like, the, you know, I guess I don't know if. Maybe the, the air is always thick here, so you don't really notice it because you could just live in it. But like, did you notice it like a stark difference once you like got up there? And I, yeah. and I know you got up there when it was cold, so maybe that wasn't a great example, but still. Even when it warms up, like let's say right now, like it's the warmer time of the year, I think right now it's 76. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can still notice the difference because the air is not thick. It's like thin, it's easily bre- breathable. The only issue with the air was like, just not to get off on the tangent, but uh, we are kind of close to Canada, so they do have pretty large wildfires. So then that kind of gets in the air. Uh, uh yeah, that's true. But aside from that, yes, yeah, a lot easier to breathe out here. Aside from uh, when that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, at least it's good a little hot. I mean, you guys got the, the MLB All Star Game coming up there too, so I mean, I guess that makes it feel like summer. I guess in a little bit. So I got that coming up. I'm sure they're like, I mean, you're not by the city, city, but you know, I'm sure it's like pretty excitable over there too. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, now that yeah, the weather's been crazy. But I mean, you know, thankfully, it's it can't get any hotter. It can't get any worse. I guess that's. Hey, don't say that, man. We Tuesday yeah. started Tuesday, July third, for three days in a row. It was the hottest days in recorded history. So don't say that. Yeah, you're right. I guess I, I guess I actually shouldn't say that. But yeah, I mean, I, that's how I was just justifying it in my head, so that you know I can like <laughs> get by the day. But yeah, no, nah, for sure. But, uh, but no, nah, man, we, we we missed a lot since we've been gone. Of course, you know the draft happened, NBA free agency happening. As we're recording this now, it is Sunday night, so. By the time some people listen to this, maybe Dame's traded, maybe he's, maybe he's not. But from what we got so far, we got Trey one game of Wimby. The second game of Wimby is going to be going on tonight. After we finish this pod, we'll probably hop on and watch it. Um, what? How are you feeling with the debut? And then we'll kind of get into a little bit of the draft. But like, how are you feeling with Wimby from what you saw? Again, it's summer league, one game, but just kind of like your initial thoughts. Um, at first, I was a. I guess I was pretty uh, happy with his defensive end at uh, uh, play. Mm-hmm. Um, even when he wasn't able to necessarily get a block, just the way he was able to contest um, and mess up people's shots around around, that was encouraging to see. Um, the Spurs had him playing a lot of defense in the wing, and um, he wasn't necessarily getting cooked in the wing. And for a seven-foot-four player, uh, that's pretty amazing. So on that end, I was pretty impressed offensively, um, I think it goes without saying he left a lot to be desired. But, um, you know, he was missing a lot of easy shots. And uh, that's kind of encouraging in the sense that uh, I was just thinking, okay, well, he missed easy shots. You know, next game, he's probably going to make them. It wasn't like he was just putting up garbage. He was just missing shots that were normally following. And, you know, it's a make or miss league. Sometimes they miss. And that's what I saw a lot uh, from his game a couple of days ago. And then one other encouraging note I will add to it that made me feel a lot better was um, I saw where the San Antonio Spurs and, and particularly Greg Popovich told Wimbyama, hey, we want to see you dribbling. We want to see you taking a lot of shots. We want to see you just doing a lot of different things on the court so mm. you can kind of learn your boundaries as far as what you could do against other NBA-level athletic players. And I thought he was doing a lot of dribbling in the last game, and he lost the ball a lot. 
And I, that left me a little bit concerned, like, oh, does he think he can do that in the NBA? But now knowing that that's what the Spurs wanted him to do so he kind of learned his limits, I feel a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I got a couple thoughts on Wimby, but it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before we hopped on the pod, when we were talking about second-year players playing, but in this case, Wimby's a rookie. You just want to see one of your guys, the best guys, the guys that you know are going to be on team, just try different skills, right? So, like, that's going to be the main thing for Wimby, which is cool. Here's what I took away from it, and you basically kind of kind of took my answer. I loved his aggressiveness. Like, I realized right away the lights are not going to be too bright for Wimby. This is not – now, let me put it in perspective for everybody because, by the way, Trey, I just want to get this narrative lazy – this lazy narrative out the way, like, Ever since Jokic won the finals and stuff, like everybody's just been flaunting over the the European stars, and they're like, "Oh, these guys are just like so humble," and you know this and that, and like they just have an appreciation when they come to the league and this and that. I'm like, did y'all forget some of the four dudes we've had in the past that have come to the league? Like, don't let Jokic's and Giannis' uh, humility confuse you. But there's a couple guys that shall remain nameless that have come into the league that have been on that type of energy, and. Trey, we knew when he was going to be on that type of energy. As soon as he made that quote about Scoot being the number two pick, we already knew it. We already knew he wasn't. He what, what type of type of time he was on, and he definitely showed up and showed out. And he didn't run from it. And we talked about Brandon Miller, which we'll get into a little bit, but not that Brandon Miller ran from any moment in the first his first summer league game, but he didn't take a lot of shots. Wimby came in here, he was like, "Yo, I'm not here to please nobody. I'm about to take shots, work on my game, and see where it goes." And I love that. Now. I think offensively it's going to be a big a big learning curve. And I think we kind of knew that going in. And I think a lot of people get enamored with his skill set from what we saw on YouTube and this and that. But it ain't going to be that easy in the NBA. However, what you said was correct. He's going to make an impact day one in the NBA. Day one, game one, him being around the rim to block shots, affect shots, switch on guys. You know, that is going to be the moneymaker right there. And the offensive game will come. He shot like 26% from three in France. So it's like, I know people see these highlights, but, like, he's not going to be coming out here shooting 40% from three. Like, this isn't – that's not what's going to happen. But to, to be fair, Trey, and I want – I guess what you think about this. To be fair, it's a summer league. There wasn't no real sets run or anything going on. In the NBA, they're going to put yourself – put you in the best spot and closest to the basket where you can score and set yourself up with good plays. And there's going to be better spacing because there's going to be guys that can shoot around you and stuff like that. So, like, that part of it seemed encouraging. And, Trey, I don't know how much you knew about it, but – I wasn't really sure too much of Wemby's playmaking and stuff like that, but that was something that showed up to me right away. And that was something I wasn't really aware of. Like that was a huge part of his game. And maybe this is just one game anomaly. Maybe I'll feel something different after watching tonight's game, but that was something that I really, really like to see making the guys around you better, whether he's not like he was, even though he wasn't scoring, he was still affecting the game on the defensive end and playmaking. Right. And like, he never gave up and, and there was never a lack of effort. So those three things I love to see. No, and I'm, I'm so happy you brought that up because I did forget about that aspect of uh, watching this game. But, um, yeah, he really was. He seemed to be a pretty good um, playmaker. And even though he, he made a lot of good passes where his teammates just didn't make the shot, but um, it was just a lot better than I thought it was. Like, I never really considered him to be a good playmaker. And now I'm like, oh, he could maybe average five or six assists a game at his peak. And that's saying a lot. Like, if you have a, a decently athletic um Offensive player that probably can average 18 and 20, give you six assists, plus really good defense. That's something you can build around. And I, I really do. I see why Wimby had all this hype. Now, whether or not he ever actually lives up to all the hype, I don't know. 
But we did see a lot of good things uh, in his last summer league game, or well, his first summer league game. Uh, I believe it was Friday night. We did see a lot of good aspects of his game there. So I'm really I'm intrigued and excited to see what else he brings to the table tonight. Absolutely, yeah. So we're we're gonna obviously see a lot more Wimby. We're gonna be talking about him a lot going forward. We're gonna talk about Brandon Miller. I know Scoot got hurt, but Trey, I did want to mention because this falls in your alley as a Magic fan. Last podcast, we had Jesse on. I did talk about the trends with the draft picks, 1, 2, and 3, 11 through 13. So I just did want to update people that, you know, didn't watch the draft, just names to keep an eye out for. I'm personally on the scoot. I just want to put my – if I must take my claim, I'm on the scoot train tray over the Brandon Miller train. Not that I don't think Brandon Miller is going to be bad, but, but I'm higher on scoot. So I just want to put my stake claim out there. And, Trey, I always talk about there's diamonds in the rough. In the draft between 11 and 13, the number 11 pick was Jet Howard, who got drafted to Orlando. You got number 12, Derek Lively to Dallas, and 13, Grady Dick, who obviously made news for what he was wearing more than actually who he was at that point. But <laughs> what any of those guys, do you see any of those three guys, you know, making a big splash and being maybe a guy that's a steal? And then I also want to just hear quickly how you feel about the magic with Jed Howard at 11, and then, of course, Anthony Black at 6, because we don't really get a lot of time to talk about the Magic on here, to be fair, and we get a lot of time to talk about the Heat because we're in the playoffs. So I, I like to – I'll give you – I'll usually like to give you a couple minutes post-draft <laughs> to at least talk about what we can maybe look forward to because we talked about Paolo last year, and Paolo ended up being that dude. So maybe it's two years in a row. Um, well, to answer your first question, I think out of those uh, 11, 12, and 13 pick, Brady Dick um, will probably be the one that – um. Mm. Maybe he had the most impact so far early on in his career. And Did I you think want him to go to the Magic? Because I, I kind of wanted the, the Magic to draft him at 11. I don't know. If you, I just had to cut I you I kind of wanted him to go to the Magic, but then at the same time, he would have kind of been playing that same position as Franz Wagner. So I don't really know how much time he would have got there. And it might have just been kind of a, a little bit too much of the same thing. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think he ended up in a good place in Toronto where um, it's still competitive. Uh, hope they have a good coach. Uh, Organization, while obviously not having that many expectations, but I think just uh, with the way he plays and his style of play, uh, being able to shoot, uh, be, be such an elite uh, shooter, especially at uh, six eight with his frame, uh, I think that's really what you want in today's game. Uh, and he could become a really good three and D player. Obviously, you know, look, no leaning more towards the three than the D, but um, still able to give you something on the defensive end because he does have enough athleticism where he won't be getting cooked every single night. So um, I really think he might be the steal of the draft in that range. In that range. Um, okay, in that range. Okay. And then, in and, that then range. and as far as for Jet, and I guess you were talking about Anthony Black, too, who's basically just Marco Fultz and Suggs put together. But, you know, whatever. Basically the same yeah. player. But, but go ahead. I just want but to Anthony Black said the better summer league. So, like. Um, so I haven't seen him in summer league. Has he been hooping? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think he had, like, 17 points the other night, like, seven assists, but then he had, like, seven turnovers. So it's like, uh I don't really care about turnovers or something like that. But yeah, you kind of. But I don't. But you saw flashes, basically. Yeah, I saw flashes. And again, the summer league, that's a great uh, time for you to really learn what you can and cannot do against the NBA competition, kind of uh, feel out where you're at. Mm-hmm. So, um, for what it's worth, um, I really did like what I saw um, from, from him in the summer league. Again, back to that point you already brought up about uh, Cole Anthony. Um, Cole, um, Markel Fultz, and uh, other players in the Magic. He's kind mm-hmm. of a repeat trend of uh, players that we already have, so I don't really know how much playtime he's going to get. Early <laughs> right. <on. laughs> 
That's what I think. He's, so I, I, when I look at him when they drafted him, I, I like the things that I like about Jalen Suggs and things I like about Marco Fultz. It's like if they two just had a baby. That's what Anthony Black is to me. Like, can't none of them shoot. And, but then, like, you got, like, the height of Markel Fultz because Black is bigger, and then he's got, like, better defense. You know what I mean? So it's just like that's the way I look at it. But maybe he, there's some upside on top potential there. But how do you feel about Jet at 11, though? Jet Howard, you know, son of a coach, Jawan Howard, used to play for the Magic. Obviously, the Heat and stuff, too. I mean, like, do you, you like that pick? Um, I'm not mad at that pick. Uh, I always feel kind of good when you go against uh, – for NBA players, uh, their sons. Because a lot of times the signs end up being a lot better, so um, yeah, you know that's that's a good trend to go after. And um, once you get to like the eleventh pick, at that point, like after ten, it becomes kind of a crapshoot. You know, you might get a Paul George, a Kawhi Leonard, a Donovan Mitchell, or you might get a guy that's out of the league in three years. You just don't know. It becomes a little bit more of a crapshoot. So I'm never really too upset at the picks at that point. Um, I think you just go for the most potential and the most. Uh, the players that you think you can get the most out of, like you just go for a, a talent, not even necessarily fit. And uh, I think that's what they did with Jet Howard. That's not saying that he's going to be a really successful NBA player, but I really – I don't disagree with the pick. Okay. Well, it's not bad. I mean, we're definitely going to see how that, that plays out for sure. But listen, man, let's – we can talk about the draft forever. We got a lot of summer league, but I, we got to get into the free agency. Like the free agency stuff, we missed – I'm going to let you go in either direction, Trey, because we haven't talked about CP3. We haven't talked about Dame. Like, where, where do you – who – like, what's standing out to you now that kind of the dust has settled? The Dame is, like, one of the last things on the chopping block, I guess. But for the most part, is there anything, like, that's standing out to you specifically? Um, I know we saw Jordan Poole, you know, apparently he went to D.C., hasn't gotten a haircut. I mean, there's a lot of situations that's been going on. But, like, what, what's standing out to you so far? Um, I, I think I would give it to the Dame situation, and I don't know if you really want to tie that in with uh, free agency because he just asked for a trade. He could do that at any time of the year. But um, Yeah, I, I guess just there's any moves in general, I guess. Yeah, I mean, to be fair. Yeah, okay. So I'm definitely going to give it to that one just because uh, he's the biggest player on the market right now. Um, he's the guy that you can bring to any team, and he's going to make them better. He could be the difference between a team getting to the NBA Finals and not getting to the NBA Finals, whether he goes to uh, Miami or – or Philadelphia, or even if you went to or Brooklyn, Miami, it wouldn't be. Or Miami. <laughs> right, right, right. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come from a Miami fan. <laughs> I would say this, though. I want to say this. I just feel like Daniel should have did this two or three years earlier. I know before the pod, we were talking about some other guys where we are like, they decided to make certain transitions in their career a little too late, and uh, it was all for nothing. And I kind of feel like Damian Lillard, I'm not saying he's at that point yet because statistically he had one of his best years, if not his best year ever last year. But he's still a 32-year-old um, undersized point guard with a lot, a lot of money on his contract now for the next four or five years. And I'm not so sure how teams would be willing to give up a lot for him as opposed to he had a day this two or three years ago where he could have got the world for him. And I just think he might have been making this move a little too late because, I mean, you're not going to get too many more cracks at the apple. You're 32 years old now. You know, your, your career, you're in the downside of your career, just to put it plainly. And I feel like he should have just asked for the trade a little bit earlier because we all knew Portland wasn't going anywhere. I love Damian Lillard, but uh, you, CJ McCollum, as you always like to bring up, Apple Gamino, like you guys were not going anywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> no, excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to say, right? Because here's the thing. The league has basically set this precedent, and I know we've talked about it before, but it, it, I think it's okay to keep mentioning it just in case this is the first time somebody hears it. 
the players have no incentive to wait to uh, like basically ask out earlier before they get their money. There's been no incentive to do that. That's why you see the, you know, there's a lot of examples, of course, but you know, the Anthony Davis situation happened a couple of years back. James Harden happened a couple of times. Bradley Beal most recently. It's like you have this extension on the table for 200 and something million dollars. Like just put yourself in people's in guys' shoes, right? It's like you got two options. I don't really want to play at the place I'm playing at. I want to get a better chance to win, right? If you're the player. I can ask out right now, go to this other team where they obviously can't pay me as much money as my previous team because of, you know, the rights and stuff like that with the CBA. So you may be talking about a 30, 40, 50 million dollar difference in contract. Or I can just sign that same contract, wait probably less than six months down the line and just ask out. And I've already got the contract. I can give um, the front office of my organization a couple teams that I want to go to. And 98% of the time, they're going to have to send me to one of those teams if I make it public. So, like, there's just no other incentive for that to happen. Now, with Dame leaving earlier, he probably should have left earlier. But he was the poster boy for loyalty, as we like to call it. You know what I mean? He was 10 toes down. And he yeah, but what really I'm yeah, now? <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's with him in the bank, right? Like, he's, he's all right. You know what I mean? He's not – trust me. I Look, I know everybody thinks that winning is the most important thing for these NBA players. But Dame is not crying himself to sleep at night because he don't have a championship. I can guarantee you that, okay? So, like, he's good. Like, he's fine. But I'm sure he really, really wants to win. However – he didn't know in which way to do it because I think from what it sounds like, and I don't know for certain, but from what it sounds like, just based on him being the, the poster boy for loyalty, that's just what it is. Now, Portland is not absolved from this either, Trey, and we were, and I was saying this for the pod because it sounds like Portland was telling Dame that they're going to try to still build a contender, even though you and me saw and everybody else saw, it was like, well, <clears throat> you can say that, but how likely is that actually to happen? But they were saying one thing and every single move that they were doing was basically saying something else, right? Like, so, you know, I've heard Brian Windhorst talk about when they got rid of Josh Hart last year at the trade deadline. I know that's not like a big move, but he's like a really important piece on like a pretty good playoff team in the Knicks, right? Like you get rid of a guy like that so you don't have to pay him. That's telling me one thing. You draft Scoot Henderson. Even though they might have told Dame that, hey, we're going to try to package the number three overall pick. They probably knew the whole time that they wanted to draft Scoot and keep Scoot. Even if Dame wanted to stay, if you draft Scoot Henderson, Trey, he got to go. Like, there's no other option. No, nothing against Scoot, but you can't have the two small guards again. Like, you got to go. Like, there's. No I mean, the only reason you keep Dame at that point is just for a fan attendance. If he just doesn't mind staying, like, hey, we could just bring in the fans, whatever. Right. And, and yeah, and Dame, Dame ain't in the situation to be just trying to get in fans either way. Right? I got this one his career. So, yeah. And then the third thing is, which I was going to get into with the, with the, the free agency stuff, you pay Jeremy Grant that much money, the five-year contract of 150 mil or whatever it is. I think it's five years, 160. If I'm Dame, I got some – like, if I'm Dame and I saw that, oh, yeah, just just send me off now. Like, send me off now. Like, what are we even doing? We're, we're, y'all playing. Y'all really playing with me. Five years, 160 for Jeremy Grant? I can probably bet, like, half of the people listening to this podcast don't even know who that is. And he got one of the biggest contracts of free. I'm just, I'm being so serious. Like, I'm not saying he's not a good player or anything like that, but he is not a five-year, 160, like, type of guy. So, if I'm Dame, I don't really feel that bad. I'm like, y'all were playing with me too. 
So you might as well ship me off. Now he's making it more difficult with only giving them one option. But at the end of the day, Trey, if you recall, I don't remember Anthony Davis giving a list that was outside of just the Lakers. <laughs> and he got no, the but Lakers. I mean, he did have some leverage where Anthony Davis could say, hey, I'm only under contract for one more year. So Boston Celtics or Atlanta Hawks or whomever wants to trade for me, you just know I'm going no, to so leave he had, after he had, that he had, year. No, I think he had two years left. He had two years left. Maybe he had two years. I thought he had a year left, but I, I might be I, I may be wrong, but, but I, I thought he had two years left. I'll, I'll either that, way, he yeah. had less. He had less time on his contract than Damian Lillard, who has four years left. True. Okay. Right. Fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think at this point you could just ask out whenever, and if you're a star, you're basically going to get your way. And if you're Portland, I mean, are you really going to be the team that like sends the guy somewhere that he says that he will literally refuse to not play? just for the better package. I understand you got to do what's best for business. So I'm not mad at them waiting out for the team, for a third team, for the third team trade. But like at the end of the day, this situation basically has to end with him going to Miami. Like for both sides, this has to end that way. And if you're them, you also can't bring him into training camp with Scoot Henderson's trying to go to Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp are trying to go to practice. And every single uh, day at the end of practice, the beat writers are asking them about Dan, the Damian Lillard situation, what are they going to do with Damian Lillard and Damian Lillard's getting fined. It's not a good situation to come into. And we just saw this happen a couple years ago with Ben Simmons. You remember that, Trey? In Philly, when they had to answer a million questions about Ben Simmons every single night until they traded him. Like, you don't want that situation because we saw that on ESPN every single night. And that wasn't even fun for us, let alone if you're a part of that team. And you've had guys on that team come out later and be like, yeah, that was a distraction. It was something that was a distraction. And do you really want your rookie who's never played in the NBA game to have to deal with that distraction, or do you want him to start off with a clean slate? That's my thought. I mean, but the one good thing is, even though it was a distraction, in Philly's case, they were still competing for something. It might be a distraction in Portland, sure. but it's like we're not competing for anything. So, like, it's still annoying, but it's not really – it's not derailing anything. That's true. That's fair. That's a good point. So, I mean, we'll kind of see how it plays out, of course. Um, but I did want to get to Trey real quick because we've talked about a little bit about free agency. I just wanted to run by you a couple free agent decisions that I think are really good and underrated and a couple that I think are not. And you just let me know how you feel about it. So I'll run, I'm going to run a couple, I'm going to run a couple of the obvious ones through you first, Trey, and see how you feel. And the first one, I know it's going to be close to your heart. And that's your boy, Russ. Russell Westbrook, two years, $8 million, Trey is a steal. I know he got a lot of flack and we've talked about him being a scapegoat to Lakers. That's a steal of a contract for that guy that's going to play that hard. That let's be honest, Russell Westbrook's probably going to play seventy games this year, right? He's going to be always mostly available. You and I both know Paul George combined and, and Kawhi probably won't even get to seventy games. So you have a guy that's available every night, and he's going to put up numbers no matter what. I mean, are you feeling that deal? Um, I'm feeling the deal. Um, it'd be interesting again. As I know we mentioned, or I mentioned at least on a previous podcast that um, I'm still interested to see how he's able to play alongside Kawhi Leonard and Paul George because, you know, we really haven't seen that yet. All three, so yeah, still, technically, yeah. Yeah, so still going to be an interesting fit. But um, aside from that, $8 million, I mean, it's still a good deal. And if he doesn't fit well, I mean, you're only paying $8 million as opposed to $40 million you were paying last year with the Lakers were. So, like, it's not that big of a deal, you know what I mean? Yeah, you get a guy like Westbrook that's that talented and plays that hard for $8 million bucks, which I believe is probably like just a player option for the second year anyway. So it's not even really $8 million, for real, for real. I think that's a steal. And look, we've seen him play with Kawhi, and it looked good. 
And I think Paul George, I mean, he could fit in. I mean, according to everybody else, he's the GOAT, right? So the GOAT could probably <laughs> fit in and just, you know, kind of make himself work. So, you know, he he, he could definitely fit in. Um, I'll start with another one of your squads because of your boy LeBron. Gabe Vista to the Lakers, great contract. Three years, 33. If stuff hits the fan and Gabe Vista really isn't who you think he is, you can always move off of that contract because it's very team-friendly. And Gabe Vista's an upgrade over Dennis Schroeder. Like that's just keep that. Let's keep it what it is. He's an upgrade over. But how much of an upgrade? Well, you know I'm biased, but he's a better defender than Dennis Schroeder. And 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 let me and don't get it twisted. Just because Dennis Schroeder is doing the Pat Bev impression and just running around and hounding everybody and fouling people, he's not actually a better defender than Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent is picking up folks 94 feet. And second of all, you and I know Dennis Schroeder can't shoot like Gabe Vincent can shoot. So let's just get that out of the way. And and what's priority number one when you play with LeBron and your guard? Can you shoot the rock? Right? So Gabe Vincent can at least shoot the rock. So I think that's an upgrade for that price. And did you really want to have Schroeder back again? Do you really want to go um, with the Schroeder experiment? I wasn't mad at the Schroeder experiment, but uh, it would just depend if it was sort of the right price. I know a couple of years ago, he was looking for like four years, 80 million. Of course, I wouldn't want him at that. But um, let's say we had to get him back at this Gabe Vincent price hold. I you gotta have Schroeder over Gabe Vincent. I still think I'll probably take Gabe Vincent over him, but like I okay. said, I just brought up that point to say like how much of an upgrade is it? Yeah, it might be a little bit upgrade, like, but it's more of a marginal upgrade. It's not over the top by any well, it's means. Got, well, it's gonna it's an upgrade because he's gonna be a starting point guard by the deadline because Dela will be traded because we know how the Dela experiment's gonna go. But I'll get to that one in a second. But another guy I thought was a sneaky deal. And obviously, he's one of the most repulsive guys to me in the league. But I got to be fair. Grant Williams to the Mavericks, Trey, for four years. Oh, I love that. I'm feeling that. And for multiple reasons. You got a guy that can play defense on multiple positions, which last time I checked, I don't know if Luka or Kyrie is described as a defensive stopper. Maybe you've heard something that I haven't. But Grant Williams is going to get that done, right? He's going to play with some toughness. He's going to play with some grit. And he can shoot the ball a little bit, right? Like, And listen. You playing with Luca and Kyrie, really all you got to do is stand in the corner. You know, uh, really all you got to do is stand in the corner and hit shots. And they needed a guy to fill in that spot, the Dorian Finney-Smith spot kind of thing. So I love that deal. I'm, I'm assuming, like you said, you love that deal as well, too. And for the price. Oh, yeah, for the same reason as well. Um, a really solid defender that can uh, guard multiple positions. Uh, he can stretch the floor for, uh, for you. Um, we obviously saw in that uh, Miami series, even though it didn't go their way, uh, he's not scared of the moment. Um, he's not going to back down from anybody. And I think that's something that uh, Dallas could use, especially last year. So I think uh, he'd be a really good fit. I like that. I like that. Yep. I like that pick a lot. And then a couple of the ones that weren't free agent deals, but that were trades. Trey, I like OB Top instead of Pacers. I don't know what was going on with the Knicks and why he wasn't playing and stuff. We heard some rumblings with him and Tom Thibodeau or whatever. But I think OB Top has got some real upside. And you know the number one thing I'm going to like with Obi Toppin? He get to play with my my guy, Tyrese Halliburton, who's probably – he is one of the best pick-and-roll guys, guards in the league. And all he needed was a lob threat, Trey. All he needed was a lob threat to play with. And Obi Toppin can shoot too. I like that deal. So he may be one of my candidates to have a little breakout kind of a year with the Pacers. Do you like that deal? Um, I like the deal, especially um when they got him for pretty much nothing. I think they got him for like a couple of second round picks. Yep. So um, it's not like they gave up a lot for him. I know you're a little bit higher in Halliburton than I am, but I still think he's a really good player, especially out of the pick and roll. So running with Obi Toppin, and if Miles Turner is on the floor and he can stretch the floor as a big man, 
Yeah, I think that's a pretty good pickup just as it um in general for that team. Trey, they can low-key play like a little five-out situation. They got like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to get into basketball specifics, but like they're going to have some stuff with Halliburton, who's a pass-first guy. Yeah, no, they can throw some different looks at you. So um, I think they'll be an interesting team. Uh, like you said, you don't want to get too specific in the basketball weeds, but um, I'm not sure how good of a team they're going to be record-wise. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if they compete, you know, for the seventh or eighth seed in the East. Yeah, if it all meshes well, got Halliburton also is another guy got to stay healthy. But, like, if he can stay healthy, that's going to be something I'm going to look forward to. And then the last one, it's a low-key pick. People don't really notice. Um, Chris Duarte left the Pacers. He's on the Kings. An- a- another trade for a couple second-round picks. People didn't notice. A lot of people don't know Chris Duarte, Trey. And-, and that's, like, a real basketball head name. But he had a really good rookie year with the Pacers. That was some injuries and stuff like that. I think he's a really good piece that the Kings needed, especially since they lost Terrence Davis. And I don't know, Malik Monk's still going to be there, but he's another guard that you can kind of bring up. Big guard, can handle the rock, can shoot the ball from three, can play make, can play some defense. I like that pick. Oh, I like for him almost, a lot For almost well. nothing, too, by the way. Yeah, almost for nothing. Um, did four years in college. Like you said, I had a really good uh, rookie year. Um, he's a guy that's, even though he's, I don't want to call him younger because he did do four years in college, but uh, hasn't been in the NBA long, I should say. But even with that being said, you can still see him contributing good minutes in the playoffs. That's without a doubt. So um, I really do like this for the Kings. Um, you know, the Kings, they did uh, they did extension of the opponent's contract, and they re-signed Harrison Barnes. So they look like they're kind of running it back uh, to a degree. We're making some slight tweaks. And um, I kind of like that idea of the Kings, you know, a team that hadn't been into the playoffs in about 15 to 16 years. They finally get to the playoffs as a first seed, even though they lose in the first round against a very good Golden State team. Kind of just running their back, you know, seeing if they can do something else. Um, maybe take to another level when I like that. And I think uh, Duarte would help. Yep. And sometimes, yeah, like you said, just retaining your guys, could, is, it could be all you need sometimes at that point. And, you know, who knows? They could always make a deal at the deadline and stuff if they feel they're a piece away. But they really like their core. So, you know, I like that, too. But getting to the bad, Trey, I'll make this one pretty quick because we've already talked about this. Grant to the Blazers, I mean, there's really not much to say there. Yeah, it's just a lot of money. Uh, I think you brought up before the podcast who's going to trade for him. So, um, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, he's not one of those players where it's like, oh, he's going to make us too good, where we're not going to be able to get a good draft pick, but we're not good enough to compete. No, you're still going to be a bad team. So, uh, they get some good picks. Yeah, and, and he had an excellent year last year, but and I know he's a 20-point score, but that's just not for a team like that. That's not competing. It just doesn't make any sense to me to pay that guy. And like you said, and like we talked said for the third time, you can't even move that contract, even if it doesn't work out. So that's what stinks about it. D low to the Lakers Trey. Here's what I will say. The contract isn't bad. Two years, 37 player option. I believe you can kind of move him if stuff hits the fan. I'm just not a D low guy. I just not a D low guy, Trey. I don't like if If you want the, I would rather run it with Reeves and Gabe Vincent and LeBron than the D'Lo thing because I just think when D'Lo's like good, he's good, but like just just not enough of good D'Lo for me to justify even him bringing him back. That's just me. Um, I'm not the biggest D'Lo fan either, but what he is is just uh, simply another body that you can put out there during a the regular season. Um, I think you and I both know we've seen him before where he can get hot and start making a whole bunch of shots, and um, that's just a player that you can use in a regular season, especially when you have an older kind of injury-plagued team with LeBron and Anthony Davis at the helm. So, mm-hmm. um, for what it's worth, it's not a bad contract. 
it is a possible contract that you can trade uh, at some point this year or next year if need be. So um, it's somewhere in the middle. It's okay. It's not a bad deal. It's not a good deal. You know, just somewhere in the middle. It's okay. Pretty much like how D'Lo is. Not a bad player. Not a good player. Just okay at best. It's just a log jam at guard with the Lakers. It just doesn't make sense to me why you'd want to bring this guy back, especially how he played in the playoffs. I mean, he, he got to be unplayable towards the end there, Trey. Like it was he was, like, but I think it's just more of a regular season thing. Like, look, we just need somebody else that can just take some of the minutes off our, our uh, older guys and then come to playoffs if he isn't playing well. Hey, we got Gabe. We got Austin. We'll keep it pushing. Yeah, I think at some point he, he, I can see him definitely being moved out of deadline. I, I can definitely see that a team, you know, trying to make a move for D'Lo and thinking that they can correct who he is and because it happens all the time. So that, that's another deal. And then the last one, the one that's getting a lot of love, specifically from Bill Simmons and the Boston guys, I'm not high on the Porzingis to the Celtics, Trey. Everyone is convincing themselves because of Porzingis' numbers that Porzingis is something other than Porzingis. And Porzingis will let you down. He's going to have excellent numbers and excellent nights, but I just don't think he can be relied upon, one, to stay healthy, and two, when he's on the court. I don't know that he's necessarily just like some winning player or just a guy that's putting up stats. And then the third piece of that is what you had to give up for him. I believe Marcus Smart was such a huge piece to that team, not only what he does on the court, but also off the court and stuff like that as far as his leadership. I think that that's a missing piece. And you can't lose him and Grant Williams. Basically, the only two... Basically, the only two vocal guys on the Celtics were kind of loud they lost in the same offseason. Can't lose both of them guys. And I know Marcus Smart looked like he took a back, step back defensively, but, like, what are they going to do at guard at this point? It's like, you don't have him. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, they tried they tried everything they could to trade this guy, and they had to cancel the trade because he's so unhealthy. And then you got Derek White, who just went bald. So, like, what do we got going on? We don't have no, we don't have, we got no guards. Like, what, what is happening right now? So, like, this is all great. You got Porzingis, but who is the guard? Like, unless there's a move for a guard – that's left, and unless you, what you gonna do? Go get John Wall. Like, what, 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 what's the options? Um, I just think that uh, I can see why you maybe not be that high in the trade, but um, I just think that Boston was at a point where it's just we've run this back four or five years in a row. We just need to do something to switch it up. And why is Jalen uh, Brown not paid yet? What's going on? Yeah, I don't know about that one either. But at the same time, <laughs> it's the idea that you're gonna be giving him three hundred plus billion dollars, and he's gonna have the Highest contract in NBA history. And we all saw him in the playoffs this past year. We saw him in the playoffs the last couple of years. Uh, some of the troubles he has. So I think that might be part of it. I still think he's going to get that deal done. But I just think there might be some hesitation. But yeah, back to the Porzingis point. I think it was just time to try to throw something new against the wall. I'm not mad at the idea. Again, you run it back four or five years in a row. And you keep getting to the same point, which is close, but not close enough. So let's try something different. But you don't think losing Marcus Smart and Grant Williams, I mean, both at the same time, that's not like, no, I, that's, that's the point. It could be terrible, point. but my thing is you've done that same, this same unit, this same main core group of guys. You've done this same routine so many times and you've gotten the same result where, yes, the floor for this deal could be a lot worse when you lost Marcus Smart and Grant Williams. Yeah, instead of being like the first team in the East, maybe now you're down to the fourth or fifth, and maybe you lose in the second round. Yeah, the floor could be bad, but it's just like you've done this whole routine so many times. It's just it's just time to try something new. I don't know. That's going to be the one that's going to stick with me all, all offseason and into next year. Like, what move are they going to be making there? Um, 
that they're going to do that they're going to be able to help that point guard position out because right now they don't really have any options and that's really the that's really the main problem for me as a team that's still planning to contend because at this point if the heat do get dame and boston remains the same i mean are you picking boston over them they probably have a better overall roster but it's a legitimate question and then no i think i would pick the heat over them um but and you still got to deal same. with Philly and Milwaukee's coming back. It's like, where, where's Boston um, stack up in that situation? And I see what you're saying, but these are the same questions we were asking last year, the year before, the year before that, and the year before that. But so, not I mean, really, because we still had the market smart. That's what I'm saying. Like, I just think they did something drastic this year as opposed to the other years. Yeah, I guess. I mean, listen, you had some hope at the end of the year when it was all said and done, and we were doing a reflection of the um, end of the season. We were asking ourselves these same questions. They always ended at the same point. They never got to the promised land. That's true. Regardless, regardless of what you want to say, and now it's like, okay, now we know that we probably going to have to pay Jalen Brown three hundred million dollars, uh, the largest contract again in NBA history. While we can, we might as well just try to check it up while we can. It might go terribly bad, but what's the opposite? Like we haven't got to the promised land in the last five years, so. I, I love how if you it keep goes bad, it goes I, bad. I love how you keep mentioning Jalen Brown's as the biggest contract in NBA history because <laughs> you know no, it's going to change after like a month. It. You know it's going to change after a month. Somebody else is going to be the, the It is, but I just issue. want people to understand that because when people that's listening to this podcast, most of them probably have never even heard of Jalen Brown. Like It's not like Steph Curry, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and they had the largest contract in NBA history. No, it's Jalen Brown, who's not the best player on his team, has the largest contract in NBA history. But, okay, I know he's not the best player on the team, but isn't, isn't it, it's kind of close, though. Yeah, but I'm just saying it's kind of okay. close. But like, if I'm giving you three hundred million dollars, I don't want it to be kind of close. I want you to be the best player. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess that's fair. If you're paying somebody three hundred million dollars, like, yeah, you expect that three hundred million dollar product. Okay, that's fair. That's definitely fair. But, but yeah, man. I mean, obviously, we're gonna see what the rest of free agency is gonna do. I want to throw out a couple names, Trey, real quick. If any names sticks out to you, let me know. Like, you know, if, if can any of these guys make a, a big impact signing to a contender or something like that? I, these are the best, some of the best guys left. PJ Washington, Kelly Oubre Jr., Christian Wood, Io Desumu, John Wall, Danny Green, Darius Baisley, just to name a few. PJ Washington and Io Desumu are restricted, but regardless, I mean, is any of those guys making a significant difference or are our teams kind of settled? You know, obviously outside the Dame trade or any crazy trades, is this, are we kind of like settled in what we got in now? Well, listen, I know this is a podcast and uh, we're supposed to have good discourse. So I should try to pick a name out of this so we can argue. But uh, you know what? I'm not going to waste the people's time. No. <laughs> I knew you were going to say none of those names. I knew you were. <laughs> can, I, can I at least throw the Danny Green one? The Danny Green one, maybe? A vet? Yeah, Danny Green just tears ACL like a couple years ago and he's already like 35. I knew you was gonna bring that up. I knew you was gonna. Bring, I'm just saying. You always bringing up old stuff, man. You always bring up old. Stuff. It's not. Yeah, you're, you're right. He's he old. Healed. You're right. Thirty five years old, off coming off an ACL injury. You're right. <laughs> he's fine, man. He could be a vet, man. He could be a vet on somebody's team, but. But I mean, listen. He's a vet on somebody's team. He's gonna do the Iguodala what he did this year. He's not gonna play a lick, a, a real substantial, um, meaningful minutes. But oh, the Iguodala, that was just locker room the, guy. The Iguodala, like, he could be hanging out. Yeah. Basically, that's what Danny Green would be like. If he said, "Hey, can we we could bring him to Houston, or we could bring him to Memphis," yeah, maybe then I can understand because uh, those two teams in particular look like they need those kind of veteran players just mm-hmm. in the locker room, not even for their on the court presence, but off the court. That's fair. But, uh, as far as on the court, no, nah, ain't none of them guys. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay, well, 
we'll leave it. We'll see if any of these guys actually get signed. But yeah, I'm kind of feeling the same way too. But obviously, you know, guys are waiting for uh, the, the big dominoes to fall before they finish up signing. But before we get out of here, Trey, the end season tournament finally got announced. I know it was something that got passed last year or the year before. First year it's going to be. I'm sure everybody kind of saw it, but essentially this year it's going to be an end season tournament where there's going to be a trophy, there's going to be a bracket, group play. It's going to be kind of like the World Cup, actually. It's going to, the championship trophy is called the NBA Cup. There's incentives, $500,000 to the winner of each team, everybody on each team. Um, there's going to be different games played. I'm not going to get bogged down to all the rules. We kind of talked about it before. Yeah. How are you feeling with the in-season tournament? Like, is this going to be a thing that you think is going to continue? I know the first year of it's obviously going to be pivotal, but uh, I, there's a part of me that feels like it's maybe a little bit cheesy, but – you know, you do get to go to Vegas if you're in the final four four two, which is kind of great. We were talking about that stadium. So, I mean, what are you thinking about with the in-season tournament? What's the expectations? Um, <clears throat> there's a part of me, too, that believes it could be kind of cheesy. But at the same time, you know, I'm always open to giving something a shot. And if it doesn't work, I'm pretty sure just because of how progressive the NBA has been uh, in these last couple of years, they, they'll just get rid of it. It'll be something we just soon enough forget. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one thing about the league. They don't like it. It's gone. Don't worry. Yeah, about it's, it. it's gone. gone so, like. I'm not too worried about it. And then, and, and, um, you know, in-season tournaments, I know we don't see them a lot on a professional level other than professional uh, soccer, which is not big uh, necessarily in, uh, in the United States. But uh, in the collegiate level, you know, in um, basketball, we see in-season tournaments all the time. And um, collegiate mm-hmm. baseball, you see it a little bit. Uh, so it's Yeah, not, conference uh, tournaments, that's a good point. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's not anything uh, – really that much different. It's just going to be on a professional level. Uh, so I think it's just worth a shot. Um, again, I mentioned before the podcast, depending on who wins and who comes out on top, if you have a LeBron James, if you have a Steph Curry, if you have a Kevin Durant, some of these uh, premier NBA superstars coming on top for the first couple of years of the tournament, I think that does kind of add some uh, luster to the tournament because then, you know, everybody's competing. Everybody wants to beat the top dogs per se. So I think that adds on to it. Uh, unfortunately, I'm just going to use these as an example. If you have somebody at, like Houston with Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet, or if you have somebody like Oklahoma City with uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander and uh, Josh Giddy, if they somehow were to win the tournament, I don't think fans would really care. It would just be kind of like, eh, see, nobody's taking it serious. That's why they won. I kind of think it would just go by the wayside. So I think you just you have to have the right players to buy in, the right players to win. So you think it's important year one, it's got to yes. be like the, the Currys, the LeBrons, the Giannis's, like somebody like that has got to like win it? Yeah, because uh, let me give you uh, the perfect example. So year one of the NBA playing games, uh, everybody was concerned. They were like, oh, this is kind of gimmicky, this is stupid. We just should do the seventh, eighth seed and just continue as we always have been. Mm-hmm. And then we get the Lakers versus Golden State. And then it becomes a big thing. It's one of the biggest games of the year as far as TV viewership. And then we see the Lakers going to the playoffs off of that, and then everybody buys into the um, in-season tournament. I think mm. we just need something similar uh, to that, where you need the right players and the right teams to be involved late in the um, tournament so you can have buy-in. And then after that, it could kind of carry – this tournament can carry itself um, in years to come. But the first couple of years, at least, yeah, you need the right teams at the very end. You know, that's a great point. I, I forgot that the first year of it was – the, the Curry and LeBron situation. And I remember how big of a deal. I mean, we talked about it on the podcast. We were going to watch that game, stay up late and watch that game. It was on the West Coast. Like, yo, we got to watch this game. It's like 
This is exactly what the league would want for the ratings. And it, honestly, yeah. not just because of names, it actually ended up being a great game. And then everything the league wanted it to happen. Two marquee franchises, two great players. Game comes down to the end. One of the marquee players is guarding the other marquee player. One of the marquee players hits the big shot. Like It's like everything happened that you wanted happened in that exact situation. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I think that's, a, that's an underrated point. I haven't really thought about it that way. What if it doesn't happen that way? What if you just get Toronto playing Charlotte? No, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> right, right. Like maybe it just sets the precedent. But now because of that, we can survive a Toronto or somebody. I'm just, I'm sorry, Toronto's just catching strays. But like we can survive a, <laughs> uh, yeah, just catching strays out of nowhere. But like we can survive a, a non-marquee team essentially in the, in the uh, play-in because we're kind of used to watching the play-ins because of that. So like that is actually a good point too. And I think underrated too. The, the Memphis team did upset John Rantham did, did upset Golden State too in Golden State. So that was kind of a big deal too. John Rant was the new upcoming star, exciting star. Steph Curry was the, I don't know if anybody thought he was the declining star, but he was the older star that we had known too. So I think you couple that too. I think that has to matter a little bit as well. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, um, you brought up that great point. Uh, just to end it off, uh, much like that put John Morant on the uh, large stage and kind of brought him to everybody's attention. This end season tournament could do the same thing. Let's say you have Steph Curry going against Scoot Anderson uh, at the end of the tournament. Mm, I like you know, that. You had that. The, yeah, you had the young versus the old. And we all know who we expect to win, but it could just help, you know, put some of these young guys into uh, national attention and kind of put them on the map. Because at the end of the day, you know, this generation, the Durants, the Currys, the LeBrons, the Hardens, the Westbrooks, they're aging out. So you really do need like the Lucas and the Zions and these other young guys that really kind of take over if you want the league to continue to grow. So uh, I think the uh, tournament could just be a good way to um, give them an easy stepping stone to do that. That's a great point. I, I'm a, I couldn't say it any better. I'll definitely leave it at that. I can't wait to kind of watch it. But yeah, anything the league's throwing out there, you know, their success rate isn't 100%. But like you said, they're always willing to take it away if it doesn't work. So we love that about the league. That's why it's, you know, pretty much our favorite. So. Um, but I want to thank everybody. No, I do have to ask you one question before you leave. Yeah. What did you think about the submarine incident? <sighs> I, I, you know what? Okay. Because I, I, I have you know, thought I about you know, I I just, I just wanted, I just wanted you know, to No, that. I think I can say it. I think I can say it in a final <laughs> way. Obviously, you know, we don't like the situation that happened with the submarine. I think the safe thing we should say is, I think sometimes we should be a little bit more cautious. That, that's okay. really like the main overall arching thing. Like we should be more ca- cautious. And I know in this situation, like a lot of people are doing the blame game and I can kind of see where you can. For blame. good reason. Right. Right. And I can kind of see where you can go with that. Um, but at the end of the day, risks are risks. Like, I think that's the best way. Risks are risks, right? Like I was just playing chess this past week. I actually just learned chess. So, Oh, okay. Look at you. Yeah, I just learned, you know, trying to broaden my horizon, you know, almost 30 years old. You figure you can at least learn chess. And it's like <laughs> when you play in a game, you know, you move a piece and you know the risk going in before you move the piece. And sometimes you move a piece, if it's a pawn or whatever the case may be, willing to sacrifice that piece because you're trying to take the risk to go somewhere else. And I think you can just try to take a relation to chess. And I know people use a lot of chess. Um, examples and terminology in life. But, you know, when I think about people taking risks, whether it's, you know, submarine, skydiving, whatever the case may be, just know the risk going in. Um, 
and doesn't mean we can't be sad or anything, but you know, maybe we're not as surprised. It just, it just really depends. I think that's the situation that I look at with the submarine. Um, I do want to, I think you put it, uh, you said it very well. I do want to add to that. Um, and not say it quite as well as you do, but I want to add on to it. If you got a PS2 controller, and I don't care the standard for the submarines or whatever, if I see that, I, there's no way in the world I'm getting in the submarine. <laughs> you control it with a PS2 controller. Like my boy, the sticks. Well, what the sticks get locked up? <laughs> I ain't doing it. And then the second thing is, I yeah, didn't realize how deep the Titanic was. I didn't. Re- I see. I didn't realize that either, too. It's not the no, like, yeah, obviously yeah. never crossed my mind, but yeah. No, it never crossed my mind, but I'm looking at it like it's deeper than the tides, the highest peak of the uh, Mount Everest, and it's deeper than um, wow. I think than a couple miles. I think it's like three miles um deep. It's deeper than the actual miles, like three miles deep. I'm like. Ain't no way, no world. You got me going uh, there. Like I wasn't even thinking about, um, you know, the pressure and all that. I wouldn't even understand it. I just be like, man, I ain't finna get eaten by a giant squid. Like what? <laughs> ain't Jonah? Like ain't no whale finna eat me? Like nah. So like, <laughs> I mean, I guess because you know, obviously, like it's an expense thing and stuff. So even if it was free, you're not you're not rolling. Hell no. <laughs> That's- no, Nolan. Yeah, bro. Like my thing is, I'm not the smartest man. I'll be honest with you. I got C's science, but I still understand a little bit about Google. And once I saw how deep that thing was, and realized the pressure that was down there that existed, and then saw you come out here with some PS2 controllers, not even PS5, PS2 controllers. That's like 15 to 20 years old. Man, miss yeah. me. Give my money back or whatever. Miss me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess the optics of it don't look good. You know, that's the that's the thing. And like, I mean, we keep getting more and more information about it as it goes on. So I'm sure we'll get even more. So, you know, like I said, I mean, obviously the main thing is the victims, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, no, no, like, it was condolences to them, man. I really am sorry that happened to them. I don't think that any of them respected. They were taking that risk. I mean, obviously, as you right. said, risk is a risk, but I don't think they realized necessarily the situation that that company in particular was putting them in. Right. Yeah. And when you start looking at the details and like situations that have happened and the trial runs and stuff, it starts getting sketchy, which, like I said, maybe if they knew that information, they maybe have not even taken that risk. So to be fair to them in that situation, but you know, it, it stinks all the way around. But yeah, so to be, I'm I'm on the side of being safe and sorry. I'm willing to take risks. You know, I you know I'm, I'm okay with heights and roller coasters, and I'll even probably skydive. But a certain at a certain point, uh, you know, that I probably got to cross the line somewhere. But never actually thought about going on a submarine. But you know, or at least not deep. I would say. And man, I go look at the Titan on Google Images. It would be the same thing. <laughs> well, I guess it's, I guess if you look at that, one, that's fine. But anyway, I want to thank everybody so much for joining us once again. Uh, we enjoy doing this for you guys as always. Obviously, like I mentioned in the beginning, if you're just catching us at any point, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on YouTube, basically any platform you can think of, we're on that. So go ahead and give us a like, subscribe, a comment. We take a look at all of it. You know, we take your feedback seriously. Um, we'll be back next week with a lot more information and a lot more NBA stuff to get into. You know, we got the NFL coming up. So I know it's the dog days of summer, but stay tuned with us. We got a lot of stuff going on. Um, and of course, on the way out, like always, I will swing it to Trey. Um, again, thank you so much for joining us, um, guys. Again, Nolan said it's the dog days of the summer. But the good thing is this is when we kind of open up our suggestions. You know, we do talk about more than just sports. And this is a time that we really get to do that. So um, if you have any suggestions, feel free to hit us up. You know, we're definitely talking about it. But again, I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us this week. Hope you guys have a great week. 
And until next week, peace. Peace.